0: I got a chance to hear Warren Wiersbe for the first time. His actual sermon was on Psalm 115. Um, I will not lie. I went home and preached that sermon. (laughs) Um, And if push came to shove, I could probably preach that sermon today.
1: You're listening to the Warren Wiersbe Preaching Podcast with me, Dan Jacobson. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for our guest today, expositor extraordinaire H.B. Charles. I feel like I don't need to introduce H.B. But there's a lot of people listening from a lot of backgrounds, so let me do the quick bio. H.B. Charles is the senior pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. He's a former president of the SBC Pastors Convention, current council member of the Gospel Coalition, host of Cutting It Straight, which is the best expository preaching conference in the country. He hosts a podcast called On Preaching. It's well worth your time to listen Uh, Recently, I ran into H.B. Charles here in Kansas City, where he's a faculty member at the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, apparently in all of his free time. In May of 2019, just about a week after my grandpa died, I was attending a Simeon Trust workshop, and H.B. Charles was one of the speakers. And He was up there giving a message that day, and I remember he took a moment to acknowledge that one of his homiletical heroes who had just gone home to be with the Lord was Warren Wiersbe. And H.B. Charles didn't know who I was, uh, even though I was sitting about 10 feet away from him. And he was saying these really nice things about my grandpa. It was just really a delight for me to hear the influence that my grandpa had in someone else's life. And afterwards, a friend came over to me and said, well, if you're not gonna tell him that you're Wiersbe's grandson, I will. And he made an introduction that I'm really grateful for. Because since then, H.B. Charles has had an outsized influence on my pastoral life, and I hope our conversation helps you today. Here we go. Today we have joining us uh, the the venerable Right Reverend H.B. Charles. Hey, (laughs) H.B., how are you, man?
0: I'm great, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to chat with you.
1: Uh, you're one of the guests that we've talked to you that's not in Warren's world in, in the sense of um, you're not a contemporary. Uh, you're actively preaching today, pastoring, yep. doing a great job. W- how did you get connected with Warren Rearsby?
0: Sure. So I um, started preaching as a boy, and I started pastoring my first church as a boy. I was 17 years old, and um, I had access to my father's library, my dad had really older books, and really the only names I recognized in his library really old was Charles Spurgeon. He had, um, and the books that I literally stole from him uh, out of that library were books by Fance Havner and R.G. Yeah. Lee. <laughs> All right. Um, but most of those guys that he had, I didn't, I had, I didn't know. So. After his passing and when I started pastoral ministry, I really started hanging out in bookstores to find resources that would be a help to me. And you know how that is. A, a man's library is his own toolkit. And it's almost like David. You can't like go to battle with some, another man's <laughs> armor on. So um, I started going to bookstores. And I was a teenager when I stumbled over my first Warren Worsby book. And it was on Ephesians. And I read it, and I was blown away. I don't think I would have known the category to say that it was expositional. I don't even think that, I'm not sure that terminology would have been available to me at the time. But it was explaining the text. It was so clear that I basically used it as a textbook to teach through my Wednesday night. I'm sorry, I didn't tell them I was teaching through <laughs> HB. if You think
1: you're the only pastor out there, the only Bible study teacher that ever talked their whole way through a whole Warren Rearsby book without anybody knowing? You're that's all right.
0: You're in good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I <laughs> I'm sure the church is like, we really got our hands on something here. Yeah, this kid is, <laughs> is is on it. Um, but after that, I just started collecting everything i could and i was um reading through as much warren worsby and as i could so um yeah i've i have he has been a constant companion with me every week even to this day i read him from whatever text i'm studying that's the other thing um god blessed him to write so prolifically that um you know uh I, I benefit from a John MacArthur in the New Testament, but a Warren Worsby, it doesn't matter what text I land on. Oh, from Genesis to Revelation, he's got work on it. So he is maybe more than anyone else, a constant companion over now more than 30 years of pastoral ministry every single week. And um, the, the tricky thing about it, uh is that i have to read them last (laughs) so yeah so that it doesn't um influence the other thing that um not only a clear explanation explanation of text his able his ability to synthesize scripture um but just clarity uh was very very helpful to me he um I try, in my preaching to this day, to state things succinctly and clearly. And there's a sense of portability that yes. a good, clean, crisp sentence is something that they can take away. Um, I feel like uh, Warren Worsby may be the most direct influence uh, on on me in, in that regard because uh, his writing was just not faithful was not only faithful, I should say, but, but also really, really clear.
1: Yeah. So, um, you might be one of the first people that I've talked to who can really help this, this audience on this podcast know from firsthand experience as like a, uh, Wearsby user, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, how, how to do it well so that you maintain your own voice, but you can glean the nuggets of truth from something that's been tested over the past couple of decades. Um, reading him last, you know, how has that impacted your your preaching? Um, have you found yourselves just using him as a check? Do you now, does he inspire different metaphors or uh, images that that you go back and say, I had this kind of written out? Well, maybe let me ask you this. Are you a manuscript type of guy? I think I've heard you say this before. You you manuscript or are you uh, kind of off the cuff?
0: I am a word for word manuscript guy.
1: Yeah, I yeah.
0: Right? I write out a full manuscript at this stage of my life for reasons. I cannot explain from Sunday <laughs> to Sunday. I may have nothing but my Bible. I have may I may have a little journal with an extended outline, or I may just take the full manuscript. I'm not sure what's, what that's about right now, but <laughs> I'm but using you're different prepara- things in a pulpit. Yeah. But
1: your preparation, you're writing it out.
0: Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what I use in the pulpit, I am writing out a, a full manuscript.
1: Yeah, yeah, same here. So when you go back to um, you know, you finish that up and then you then you open up the different commentaries. Is that how you do it?
0: No. So I use basically the um inductive study bible method, if I may take a moment real quick. Yeah, go go I guess please. You know, I'm doing observation, interpretation, uh, application. So I'm starting with observations, just I want to spend that time with me and the text. So I'm reading, rereading, making a lot of notes, raising a lot of questions, making, drawing some conclusions. Um, And then maybe the rest of my study is really to just kind of figure out where I was right and where I was wrong. Um, So I'm doing doing word studies, doing cross-references. I'm using uh, each week as well, study Bibles, including the Wordsby study Bible. So really I encounter Wordsby three times each week. I have a section of study Bibles I'll read. He's one of them. He has these general outlines on the Old Testament and the New Testament. I yeah, use that great. and then I end up using the B series uh later on at the end. Um so I'm getting into commentary work and I'm um, I'm using different commentaries for different reasons, so there are some exegetical commentaries to make sure I'm not lying on the text. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm but you don't read... want to
1: preach those; those are super dry. You know what I mean? Like those; those Absolutely. are going to give you just the the technical aspects of the verbal clauses and things like that.
0: Yep, I'm reading, if you if you will, you know, expositional slash homiletical commentaries that um, really I'm reading uh some guys to see i struggle at times not with understanding the text I, i enjoy that part but how to put your arms around that for the for the pulpit for public teaching i'm reading some guys devotionally just um to help me think about applicational points that i may have missed um but then i'm also reading some guys with um a goal for just those who—I have a book that I bought just for the title "Words I Wish I Would Have Written." You know what I'm saying? There's <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> book of quotes or words <laughs> I wish <laughs> I wrote. So yeah. um, there are guys I'm, I'm writing who are baby who are, who are able to help me clarify, who are able to help me illustrate, who are able to help me kind of organize a thought. Um, Wordsby is going to give me insight in the text. I will will also say something else. Even his his writing that uses cross-reference, which I think is vital in faithful teaching. I think you need to let scripture argue scripture. But he doesn't do it in a dry way. It's almost as if he uses it a lot of times illustratively, which is the best kind of illustration when you just let scripture illustrate scriptural truth. Um, so there are multiple ways I find, I find him helpful in my preparation process. Yeah. But well, when I finish my research, I'm basically then kind of, by that time I have landed on my own outline and all of those things, and then I'm fleshing it out in the manuscript at the
1: end. Yeah. He's not your crutch in case, uh, well, I think I heard you say it once, uh, maybe, maybe if it's a hard week, uh, y- you might, you might have, have the word of the Lord for your church right here. <laughs> Uh, right. I think I heard you say that, that <laughs> yeah, one time, yeah, and I, yeah. I get that. I get that. Uh, I, I've, I've, uh, been, uh, been a culprit of that too. You've been around the world of preaching for, you know, over 30 years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact timeline. You just kind of referenced it earlier. You were 17 when you became a senior pastor.
0: I was, yep. My,
1: my grandpa was 19. So you guys have that in common that like oh, well, boy cool. preacher type thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, how did you, you know, how did you grow in preaching as a young guy? There's a lot of young uh, pastors who listen to this. Were there any mistakes that you made that you you quickly unlearned or or um, pitfalls to avoid? What what can you tell us?
0: Yeah, so any compliment about my preaching, I just usually feel are not fair because at this point. You know, I just have thirty years—better than thirty years—experience, and I've done it over the course of thirty years, literally every week. If I don't have any redeeming qualities in my pulpit work, shame on me. You know. <laughs> um, so, but but experience alone doesn't make a good preacher. Um, when I was young, I, um, I listened. I went to go here, there was a local church paper in Los Angeles and every week it had a listing of preachers and events that would be in town. And at least one night a week, I'm going somewhere to hear some preacher who who was in town. I, I think listening to good preaching is helpful in growing in your preaching. I would say it can't just be one guy so that you you don't want to become a cheap facsimile of one dude but you should listen to good preaching i th- what i collected from my father's library were really a lot of books of sermons I, I to this day read sermons i feel like that was helpful in the development of my preaching i think um you can't be lazy you got to read you, you, I think a simple strategy for and system for sermon preparation is to read, record, and reflect. So I think very early on, I was really committed to reading as as much as I could to make sure I had my arms around the text. And then I was, I just devoured reading. And I just think that aided me in my preaching, not only in my understanding of scripture, but even in my communication of it. Um, I think another factor that was um helpful to me, I I was um this past week I did something I I don't get to do often. I, I went to uh, the Basics Conference, Alistair Begg's conference at Parkside. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times I speak at conferences. I don't really get to just go to one. Yeah. So I was there, and I sat under the preaching of a uh, Colin Smith, if yeah. you know that name. Yeah, and, yeah, from Arlington uh, um,
1: Heights. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Carlin Carl he said this that when he started when he preached <laughs> it was a terrible sermon.
1: Hold hold on. Can I interrupt you cuz cuz uh people confuse those two guys all the time, Alistair Begg and Colin Smith, and it's just cuz they're both Scottish.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So so how it's just amazing that they're both, you know, doing the same thing in the same place. That's great. I love that. I just <laughs> yeah. for for the <laughs> record, this is a preacher Absolutely. nerding out. That's just yeah. really funny. Great. Okay. So he said this.
0: He preached um, first time in front of his mentor, and he said it was terrible. And after that, he checked in with his mentor. Um, Derek Prime is the name okay. of his mentor. And he said the advice his mentor gave him was, for your first seven years of preaching, manuscript fully, um, and then you'll feel free to be better at your work. He says on the anniversary of that conversation seven years later he called his mentor and told him that uh he had kept with that advice but was committed to it for the rest of his ministry yeah Uh, i found that story really encouraging i think one of the things that helped my preaching particularly as a young preacher is when my pastor gave me advice to manuscript because i think you can i think if you're not careful diligent study can end up being sloppy preaching if you don't carefully think through what you are going to say and how you want to say it i think a lot of crazy stuff gets said from the pulpit because guys are trying to find they're reaching for illustration quote something relevant you know um on their feet yeah and not thinking through what they want to say and how they should say it. And I think one of the factors that has contributed to my development as a preacher um, that I would commend if I couldn't commend anything else, write yourself clear. And um, really, I'm telling you, it's one thing to listen to a message or to feel the, uh, the moment in preaching and say, well, wow, that was great. But boy, when you look at cold, hard words on a piece of paper, <laughs> um i have had the the unfortunate of looking at transcripts of messages that i didn't write hmm. and i was just rambling and mm-hmm. that that illustration that could have taken me a minute to say it took me 7 minutes <laughs>
1: right because
0: i just started right. enjoying telling the story and and none of these details were relevant to the point that i was trying to make right. um so there's a difference between storytelling and illustrating um, illustrating the science assumes there's a point you're trying to get to. And I just think writing has been another thing that has been helpful, which I would recommend to you, to a young preacher or Bible teacher.
1: Yeah. It's been so uh, helpful to me. The other, the other part of I think the benefit of manuscripting is um, I don't know how you do, you've written books, you've got a, a bunch of books published, um, good books. And um, you know, you've had to sit down and actually do the work for me, the only uh, real writing output that I do these days is writing a manuscript. And I think about the, the, the quantity of words that I write on a weekly basis. If you think about the quantity of words you write on a weekly basis, you're writing 15 books a year. If every Mm -hmm. book is 20 to 40,000 words. Um, for, for me, there's a bit of a stewardship in that. Do you, uh, this is maybe a a step too deep or too nerdy, but this will give you an insight into my mind. Um, I, I, I have myself on a word count when I write my manuscript. Have you ever, have, do you do that at all? Do you look at like your word count and you got a target?
0: So very quickly, if I may, Yeah. Um, I've pastored here in Jacksonville. I'm in my 15th year. Um, and I started manuscripting in Los Angeles when I pastored there. And yeah. I'm going to tell you something. When I look back over those manuscripts over these years, I've tried to, I haven't preached a lot of what I preached in my first church. Those sure. manuscripts are like 4,500 words, 5,000 words. And when I go home to my home church to preach, I'm just like, hey, y'all, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I took a lot I'm, of your time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I, oh, goodness. At this point, particularly when COVID started. And I think that's why I'm so... um. so regularly now using manuscripts in the pulpit because when COVID started I made a commitment I whittled down to this this manuscript I didn't want to be longer than 2500 words yeah no more than five pages no more than 2500 words so um I am whittling down I, I will tell you a contributing factor uh when I got to Jacksonville and I started preaching in Southern Baptist settings, which are different than national Baptist settings. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've never been in a white church setting where someone has yelled at me, take your time, preacher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's wouldn't that be um, nice though? I mean, come on. So, <laughs> so someone in, gave in you a lot permission. of in a lot of conference chapel settings, there's a clock with 25 minutes. And I almost at some places feel like I could get away with preaching heresy before I go over a minute, you know, (laughs) over that, over that block.
1: But you're right. um, You're right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it made me go down and, and so I'd take a manuscript that I'm preaching somewhere else and I would just whittle it down. I'd keep whittling it down. And then I would preach it away from home and say to myself, HB, every significant thing you wanted to say, you still had time to say it, even though you killed a whole page off of that manuscript. And it has made me more sensitive about that in my Sunday morning preaching. I'm not succeeding, but I'm trying. And my manuscripts are about 2,500 words.
1: Yeah, mine are, uh, my target's 2,450. So I'm off by 50 (laughs) 50 words. But that's because you've been preaching longer than me. You get those extra 50
0: words. (laughs) And I also run it through, I also run it through every week. I run the manuscript when I finish through Grammarly, which is an interesting experience. Um, it 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 makes me more conscious about being clear and concise yeah. um, about what I'm trying to say.
1: This is not at all what I expected to talk to you about. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll steer the ship here in a second. But I yep. with the rise of AI, I, number one, am adamantly opposed to AI preaching. I think it's um, shameful to even think about it. Partly because the work of God and the spirit is not artificial and it can't be condensed to an algorithm. But uh, I have found that after I preach something, if I'm, you know, you get off the stage and you wonder, did that, was I unclear? Like, did Mm -hmm. I not, did the people, I feel like I was shooting for 75% of the audience today and I got like 20. Mm -hmm. I have loaded my manuscript into AI. I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the future. <laughs> and just asked it. I asked it evaluative questions. What do you think an audience is, um, uh, An audience would pick up as the main point to this speaker's presentation, and uh, I've used it as a as another tool for me to understand. Um, if I'm being clear enough in my manuscript, and in, specifically if I've if I've written out my transition statements, which are intended to bring people along, and it's been uh, it's it's actually encouraged me because there hasn't been a time yet where AI has failed to uh, deduce what I'm trying to say. Uh, mm-hmm. It hasn't shouted back, "Amen, brother," yet. To me, but uh-huh. uh, I don't know, we're gonna get AI saved through all of my preaching, uh, manuscript analysis <laughs> at some point. Very good. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about um, expositional preaching. Um, just on yeah. like a, as a scene, you did you hear my grandpa preach ever?
0: Yes, I heard as a young man, I heard him once in person, yeah. Um, so as a teenager, I had I had read Al Faisal from Southwestern. I had read Jerry Vines' books on preaching. So those introduced me to the terminology and the philosophy of expositional preaching. Unfortunately, I wasn't hearing anybody do it in my tribe of Black Baptist preachers. Sure. The first person I heard do it was E.K. Bailey. Yes, and um, yeah. Um, like I said, I would not have known to to call it expositional preaching, but I left that church service and the guys with me asked what did I think? And I said, you know, I said, I just said, he explained the text. I said, and whatever you call that, I want to spend the rest of my life doing that. Um, I found out, I started following his ministry and I found out about his expository preaching conference in Dallas, Texas at the Concord church where that he served. And, for many years, this month make sense, but maybe for five years, I was never able to go. I, hmm. Maybe three or four of my guys went every year and brought me tapes back. Hmm. The first year I was able to go, um, I got a chance to hear uh, Warren Worsby for the first time. And, um, yeah, he did a message, a lecture on... Biographical preaching. I still have my notes. Oh, wow. Um, in my file. He did a lecture on biographical preaching, and then E.K. Bailey preached a message, a biographical message. And then um, he did a message. His actual sermon was on Psalm 115. Um, and um, I will not lie. <laughs> I went home and preached that sermon. <laughs> 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 um, and if push came to shove i could probably preach that sermon uh, to today um yeah from psalm uh 115 so i i i heard him and those were remarkable moments that i'll never forget i'll also tell you i bought a tape i don't know where i got it from of like some radio messages from his days at moody oh wow and I think these were like fifteen minute messages, sure, like on, on little clips, yeah, and I didn't even know like fifteen minute message yeah. I, only, <laughs> yeah. I, only, I only listened to one on this tape, and I was so blown away by it it's it's really out of um I think it was the right the white throne judgment, revelation twenty mm-hmm. there'll be a judge with no jury, a prosecution with no defense a verdict with no appeal. He did this exposition in like 15 minutes. And I was so blessed by the message. I was so discouraged as a preacher. I'm just like, I'll never be able to be that clear. It <laughs> was just fantastic um, preaching. Uh, but those were my only times getting a chance to hear them. But they were memorable moments.
1: Yeah, I, I want to ask more about- you something? Yeah, go
0: for it. What was your grandfather's balance between writing, I, I know it takes a lot of time to write, and then speaking. Um, does that make sense? Did he?
1: Um,
0: yeah. Well, it's hard to do both.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to do both. Some people are preachers who write, right? Like mm-hmm. their um, their their sermons come out, their their books come out of their sermons. <clears throat> Some uh, people are writers who preach. I would mm-hmm. put my grandpa in the second category. Mm-hmm. He came into ministry. You know, he, he was from Chicago is saved by Billy Graham in a crusade through Chicago back in the forties, and then went to Northern, uh, seminary, uh, got his degree, pastored a little church, uh, and then went to youth for Christ where he worked, you know, as an editor, he was an editor for, um, kind of one of the precursors to Christianity today mm-hmm. and, um, kind of got him in Billy Graham's world. And then he went down to, um, Covington, Kentucky. And the dream was for him to be like a secondary pastor underneath this legendary, um, legendary pastor. And six months into it, that guy died. Mm-hmm. And so my grandpa he was he was hired to be the writer of all of their um, their curriculum. All of their they would go through the Bible every seven years in all of their their system, all of their classes and their Sunday schools. And so his job was just to write the curriculum for all their Sunday schools. Um, and so they hired him as a writer, not as a preacher. And it was there that he learned how to preach while he was writing his way through Bible studies of, of the the whole Bible. Well, that mm-hmm. framed the basis of the B series like that, mm-hmm. those 10 years in Covington. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went to Moody church where he had, he had to preach on the radio and the, the, you know, because they broadcast their services, he would have to hit, hit the time. Like you're saying, um. But I, as I look at the arc of my grandpa's life, his his balance was spent, I would say, uh, as, as what I observed. And you ask my uncle, he'd give you a different answer. But I think he'd probably be a little bit more 75, 25 uh, writing, speaking. Every well, morning, okay. 5 a.m., he was in his office, looks just like the one you're sitting in, very similar mm-hmm. type type of place. And he'd be pouring over um, the Bible, both devotionally. We've got some of those, um, I've got some of those uh, diaries that he kept. And what's funny is, it, when I saw my grandpa's diaries, it freed me from the burden of trying to be like some sort of like introspective journaling, like "Dear Diary, Holy Spirit, please help me with my life." <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah.
1: some people are very flowery in their relationship with God, and that, I think there's a spiritual formation is important. But my mm-hmm. grandpa's, my grandpa's devotional diaries were kind of what you would expect. They're potential outlines for sermons, or just take him sure. the text, and he's just working his way through it. And mm-hmm. and every once in a while, he would he would write himself a thought. Of like you know, don't be deceived by this type of you know. If he's looking at Jacob and this, the life of Jacob in Genesis, he he don't be deceived by those who do this or that, and that would be his takeaway. But he would he would write himself uh, outlines of of scripture. It's I'm, I don't know if if that's how you do that, or I I I've kind of inherited a similar type of approach to sure. to how I go through that. But you don't um, put out over hundred and eighty books without being a writer first. Yeah. You know? You know, one of the things I've really appreciated about you is, uh, one of my interactions with you is actually attending Shiloh and, mm-hmm. and I had the, the chance to take some time and go to the cutting it straight conference. I think it was mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the fall of 2019. Um, it was the, just the, the description you just gave of one of that memorable sermons where you just remember the outline, you know, where you were when you heard it, you know, what that feeling of God was provoking inside of you. Um, there were at least three messages from cutting it straight, sitting in the, the the sanctuary, that I had that experience where I could tell you Charlie Date's sermon, I could tell you uh, Robert Smith's <laughs> sermon. He yeah. did the Trinity through Psalm twenty three. Remember that? Yeah, it uh, made, yeah. made some music at the end, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and and then um, it was Daniel Henderson who was talking about prayer.
0: Mm-hmm. For whatever
1: reason, I mean, yours was influential too. That's where I learned. You've got range when you hoop, man. You can you can hit those <laughs> you hit those high notes like I've never heard in my life before. And I don't know if how how they to get on the HB Charles uh, vocal classes course, but I could use some of that, man. But but it was it was that might have been one of the last moments that I remember in my in, in recent memory, hearing a message and being struck. Sure. And what is it? I, I want to kind of kick that around because I think um, there's there's spirit work in that, but there's also the work on behalf of the preacher towards the the person you know being spoken to. Mm-hmm. And I haven't figured that out yet. And I don't know if you figured it out. How, how is it that that those moments become profound? Is there a way we can craft those moments for our hearers, or is it just going to be simply? a divine appointment with a divine message, meaning a, uh, you know, a, a moment of Kairos. I, I I've been, cause it happened three times in the same conference. And uh, sure. I don't know, what is it about those things? Do you think that really meets people?
0: Yeah. And if I may put a footnote before I answer Great. what I was in, have been endeavoring to do with CIS, what is to replicate my experience at that first EK Bailey conference I attended. Um, I just absolutely I I heard Miles Jones, I heard Evie Hill, um, I heard Kenny Omer, these are were major black preachers, but I also heard Warren Wersby. And I heard It blows
1: my mind if if you knew, And I heard is.
0: I heard Stephen Oford. Yeah. Wow. And all at the same conference. And there was no tokenism. It was obvious that E.K. Belly was friends with these guys. Right. <laughs> and right. they were, they. that was just, I have not really, yeah, that blew me away. And the church needs more of that. These were guys that were just not on a platform together. These guys were friends. And that was an amazing thing to see. I've also commended the guys preaching in black and white for that, for that reason, just there. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, uh, that that's, I don't know how that book has aged, uh, as our culture has kind of changed and people think about issues of race and ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you say things in print in a decade and then attitudes shift on how you say things or whatnot. But the the sheer fact that E.K. Bailey and Warren Rearsby tried to create a podcast before there were podcasts, and they, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, because the whole thing's written yeah, as a yeah, yeah. as a as a dialogue. It's a conversation yes. back and forth, and uh-huh. um, and and uh, and it's it's just really trying to understand the the ways that different um, different uh, historic traditions have come towards expositional preaching, in um, in an attempt to build bridges towards one another and and to to find friendship in it. It's really. It's really a remarkable remarkable thing
0: for that reason i think that book is remains important and i don't think that there's anything like it in that regard because these are two guys from two different worlds who share partnership in the gospel and a commitment to expositional preaching and it's obvious in their dialogue that their worlds are very, very different.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think my grandpa was living in, you know, the, the weird side of Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, uh-huh. EV, e, our uh, EK is in Dallas and you yep. know, very different just in those senses, but, but also the black and white side of, of their ministry is very, mm-hmm. very different. And this is something that I, I was struck by at cutting it straight too. Um, if I could just be honest, I was, um, yeah, you know, it was 2019. That was pre-COVID and all the, sure. the uh-huh. upheaval, the public upheaval of racial tensions in America. Yep. And to have a, to have in the back of my mind, you know, that was September of 2019. To have that in the back of my mind in April of 2020, that yep. I was just in this place where I, I'd heard um, some some of the best preaching of my life. Come mm-hmm. from Charlie Dates, come from Robert mm-hmm. Smith, come from um, guys who serve in. Uh, you know, Charlie uh, Charlie Dates' church was only about forty minutes from where I served in Indiana. Oh, I mm-hmm. would go there. <laughs> we would go there for conferences and stuff. It was that close, but yeah. our worlds could not have been any more different. The South Side of Chicago. Yeah. He's in the parking lot of the White Sox Stadium. I spent more time in the stadium than I did in, in Progressive. Uh, yeah. and uh, and yet where I where I was was very different, and the attitudes of our of our people towards different historic traditions, mm-hmm. um, was something for, for me to learn from how, um, I, I was going to ask you how intentional you've been about that. Cause I, I really admire that about you, but it sounds like you've been really intentional about building friendships with people from different backgrounds and having a diverse group of voices in your life.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, um, I think you grow as a preacher, um, in that regard, but also, uh, god has just used different people you know people I, I grew up with hearing people say you can you you can you can't pick your family but you can pick your friends but in my life i haven't even been able to pick my friends god has brought people to my life providentially and i am grateful for that um but david helm there are times i would pitch to david helm from am me a trust ideas i wanted to do for the conference um and he would say hb that's a great idea he says but don't get too far from what you are doing. He says, HB, there are very few subjects where his, he would say, where we can come out of the dressing, out of the, out of the locker room wearing the same jersey.
1: Hmm.
0: And expositional preaching um, is something that you are promoting where guys are able to come out of the locker room wearing the same jersey. Yeah. Um, And I found that Encouraging. And you're absolutely yeah. right. You know, from preachers who are gonna yell and holler to preachers that won't raise their voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and one of the things I wanted guys to see is that you don't have to have any particular style for the Lord to use you. You know, a uh, Brooks statement that preaching is true through personality is true. God, you don't have to be someone else for God to use you. So so
1: many people have have you know, experiences where they, they learn an expressive form of preaching. And then they come back and they try and force their congregation into that mold.
0: Sure. Sure. But you, yeah. you,
1: here, here I am talking to HB Charles, who's just got done speaking at the master's uh, shepherds conference, right? Like that's a different mm-hmm. environment, uh, mm-hmm. but you don't preach there. Like you preach as, as Shiloh, <laughs> uh, And so maybe could you, could you help us with just, you know, understanding context and being confident to be able to speak to different, different audiences? And
0: yeah. So I, I have a friend who says that preaching is always venue specific. Hmm. And I don't believe that, um, you know, the goal is to be yourself in the pulpit. I think you're, your goal in preaching is to serve the hearer. Say that it all one you. more
1: time. That's really good. Say that one more time.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about quote unquote, finding your voice. Mm-hmm. That's talked about a lot among young preachers, but I don't know if that's the healthy way to think about it because the pulpit is not a place for self-expression. Hmm. It is a place where, um, we are to serve the hearer, and the greatest, Failure of a communicator. The greatest sin of a communicator is to fail to communicate. So you need to be, um, as as my friend says, venue specific. And my father used to say, you don't want to, he used to tell me as a boy, son, I don't want you to be a stereotype. I want you to be able to stand up and preach anywhere. And I do think that every preaching moment is unique, even if you are preaching the same sermon. You know, in my first service on Sunday mornings, they are going to look at me and it's nothing I can do (laughs) that's going to change that. They're just going to look at me. I guess it's earlier in the morning, whatever it is. um, They're just going to look at me. In the second service, they're going to push me sure they're going to be talking back the whole way yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they kind of push me in preaching and in that sense you know there's a sense in which saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog you know what i'm saying right right right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um in that regard just in my own preaching setting I, I need to be sensitive to the mood and the moment in which i am preaching um I don't think there's, I think it's wonderful and good for have the, for the biblical agreement. Amen. I also think course, the nature yeah. of preaching is for people to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quietness doesn't get me. Um, and I feel like being in places where it's, there's no one going to say anything back to me makes me a better preaching because you don't want and and even if it's not Even if it's humor, that can become a crutch that you use in the pulpit to filibuster rather than actually saying something meaningful. Hmm. Um, So I think I have benefited from being in certain, in various different settings. I don't think the goal is is self-expression. I think it is to serve the hearer, the word of God. And you need to be prayerful and sensitive to the Setting in which you are preaching, and your goal is to communicate effectively. Right where you are.
1: That's so well said, man. That's that's the highlight clip for the opening of of this uh, this episode. So, uh, thanks for that. Hey, uh, is there gonna be uh, another Cutting It Straight conference?
0: Yeah, so um, I want on record right
1: now. I want to hear
0: 2023, come on. 2024, we are getting <laughs> back at it. <laughs> There're a bunch of uh conferences going on at different dates so we're trying to pray about the strategic date, but pray for us in that regard. We need to get it back up again. There are a lot of guys who've been blessed. Thank you for sharing the encouraging words from your experience. There are guys who've been blessed and benefited by it and we want to serve the church that way again in the future.
1: Well, I'm I'm going on record here offering free advertising for it on the Wearsby podcast because it is it is a commitment to expository preaching um across the country and um I just uh the 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 atmosphere and the attitude that you that you just provide uh towards welcoming everybody in to hear what God says and then to model a more effective way of communication it's um it's what we need it's really what we need uh we need to stay true to the word and we got to be uh I love the, I love your tagline. We got to cut it straight. Um, we can't wait for that. Uh, and and if, when you announce that, I'll be one of the first to sign up, uh, along with many people from my team. We'll we'll make the the trip down to beautiful Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and uh, would like deal. to love to do that. So, HB, this has been a real pleasure, man. I, I'm walking away from today uh, feeling full, feeling challenged, uh, feeling encouraged. Um, so really grateful for your ministry and I can't wait to run into you at another, uh, pastor's workshop somewhere. I don't know where we're going to be Albuquerque or something. I don't know. Uh, looking forward to that. So thanks, buddy. Thank you, brother, man, HB is the real deal. Isn't he? Wow. How about his take on the pulpit being the wrong place for self-expression? Oof, that hit me hard. And I got to tell you, after we recorded this conversation, the next couple of weeks as I was teaching the Bible to my church, I approached it with, a, I think, a much more sincere um, humility is I guess what I'd call it. I'm just so grateful for that insight and for that encouragement for all of us to keep um, God's voice at the center of what we do. And hey, if you haven't tried a word count yet for your preaching, I mean, come on, what are you waiting for? I would love to know how that goes for you. If you try it, uh, reach out to us on Twitter or I guess we call it X these days. Uh, you can connect with us at the Warren Wiersbe, uh handle. It's at Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, Wearsby. W-I-E-R-S-B-E. W-I-E-R-S-B-E. We've got a lot of fun things coming your way from book giveaways to a a, kind of a big announcement. And so I would love for you to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on X, and I hope our time today has helped you use the right word as you use the word rightly. Hey, we'll see you next time.